the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Company and other factors. Not- the following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, we're learning about the terms and conditions of service. A.W. Tozer said, we must not have a Christianity in which Christ does all the dying. He died for our sin, and now with the indwelling Holy Spirit, we will die to sin. We will go to his cross for forgiveness, and we will take up our cross as a means of dedication and service to him. There can't be a crossless Christ, and there can't be crossless Christianity. install new software in your computer or add a new app to your phone, do you read the terms and conditions of service? Most of us don't. I mean, who really wants to bother with the fine print? Well, today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy is encouraging us to discover the terms and conditions related to our relationship with Christ. We may have accepted all that Jesus Christ has done for us, but are we clear about our part? Philip is helping us to understand the cost of discipleship. In 1850, California became the 31st state in the Union. And the need to get mail to this new state within the Union became apparent and important. And so the Pony Express was born. They set up 184 relay stations at intervals of 5 to 25 miles. Young men were hired to carry the mail from station to station. It started in St. Joseph, Missouri, across to San Francisco, California. The guarantee was that the meal would get there in 10 days or less. It's amazing, but in the short history of the Pony Express, they lost only one bag of meal. In fact, they lost more riders than they did bags of meal. You can imagine that journey was arduous, tiring, and sometimes dangerous. In one of the advertisements for the Pony Express, these words were written, wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk daily death, orphans preferred. Man, I'd like that job, huh? Talk about terms and conditions of service. I mean, they're not hiding anything. They're honest about the facts. This is what it means to be a rider on the Pony Express. They appealed to young men to dare. They appealed to their sense of adventure. Must be expert riders, willing to risk death daily. Orphans preferred. And yet, amazingly, study the history of the Pony Express, and there was no shortage of takers, no shortage of riders. 
There was a host of young men ready to step forward and take up the challenge. Now open your Bible, and you'll see in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38, that the Lord Jesus Christ is brutally honest about the terms and conditions of service within his kingdom. He doesn't put it in the small print. It's there, it's bold, and it's brutally honest. If you want to be his disciple, it will involve crucifixion of the self-will and a daily costly dedication to the cause of the gospel. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of the Master, means that the center of your life is no longer I, it's Him. It's not only Him, it's others. What you're committed to is Him and the gospel. It's not about I, it's about Him, and it's about others who need to hear the gospel. And you're going to lay your life on the line to live for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. That's the terms and conditions of service within the kingdom of God. So what we've got here in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38, is the true nature and cost of discipleship. You say, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus. You say, I'm a Christian. You say, I'm a follower of the Master. Then this is what your life will be marked by and molded around. This is one of the clearest statements in all of the New Testament about what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Now, before we put the text in its context, I do want to qualify what I've just said. I want to make sure that you and I are clear about this fact. Now, what we have in this text is a universal call to discipleship. This is not how you become saved. This is how you behave saved. You see, in John 3.16, we've got the universal call to the gospel. For God so loved the world... He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come by grace alone, through faith alone, and we put our hope for heaven in Christ alone and what He achieved on the cross. We will not perish because He was separated from God on our behalf. He poured out His soul unto death. He was the just who indeed died for the unjust. That's the gospel. And we receive the gift of eternal life by faith alone in Christ. But here in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, we have the universal call to discipleship. Because you see, we're not only to come to Christ, we're to come after Christ. And if any man will come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These are the hallmarks of true regeneration. John Calvin said, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Taking up your cross doesn't save you. Going to Jesus' cross saves you. But if you've gone to Jesus' cross and you have come into a relationship with Him, you are now in union with Him. He is now living in you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I can assure you, you will take up your cross and follow Him. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us that, for by grace are we saved, right? Through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We come to him, that's grace alone, faith 
alone. It is apart from works. But when we come to him, we come into union with him. He now indwells us. There will be within us what the Reformed theologians call the expulsive power of a new affection. We'll be given a new life. We'll be given a new desire. We'll be given new ambitions. And so we will take up our cross. You will be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, marked by denial and dedication to him. And so these are the non-negotiable terms and conditions of service within the kingdom of God. It's the truck and the trailer. We come to him and we come after him. The one will follow the other. Hebrews 6 verse 9 says, there are certain things that will accompany salvation. Discipleship will follow faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Automatically, simultaneously, sequentially. So we come to him and we come after him. The one is before the other, but the second will truly take place after the first. That's where we're at here. This universal call to discipleship. Now let's put the text in its context. Jesus, up until this point in Mark's gospel, has shown himself to be the Messiah by his words and by his deeds. He has healed the sick. He has exercised unclean spirits. He has tamed nature in calling the wind and the waves to be still. Now he has, for the first time, shown his disciples the mission of the Messiah. The Son of Man must suffer. Now that didn't fit into their thinking. They had a very political and materialistic view of the kingdom. And so Peter takes the Lord Jesus aside and rebukes him. Then Jesus turns the tables on Peter and rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Peter, you can't have a crossless Christ. The Messiah must suffer. Read Psalm 22. Read Isaiah 53. Read Zechariah 12 through 14. And so what follows here is Jesus takes up this thought. As James Edwards says in his commentary in Mark, a wrong view of the Messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. Peter had the idea of a crossless Christ. And so Jesus wants to make sure he doesn't have the idea of a crossless Christianity either. The way of the Messiah is one of suffering and sacrifice. The way of discipleship is one of suffering and sacrifice. Christ would pay a high price to be their Savior, and they would pay a high price to be his disciples. There can't be a crossless Christ, and there can't be crossless Christianity. That's why A.W. Tozer said, we must not have a Christianity in which Christ does all the dying. He died for us. He died for our sin. And now with the indwelling Holy Spirit and the expulsive power of new affections, we will die to sin. We will go to his cross for forgiveness, and we will take up our cross as a means of dedication and service to him. That's where we're at in the text. The way of the cross is the Christian way. So let's come and look at this text. And we'll be reminded of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Jesus said, come, follow me, he bids a man come and die. That's why, my friend, I want to say to you, don't come to Jesus if you want an easy life. Now, there are ministries that will sell you that false gospel. 
but it's false. Yes, salvation is free, but following Jesus Christ will be costly. It will be worth it. It's glorious. It's magnificent in the experience of it and in where it leads. But make no mistake about it. The life of the Christian is the path of suffering and the path of sacrifice. These are the terms and conditions of the kingdom of God. So don't come to Jesus if you want an easy life. So let's look at this passage. There's three things if you're taking notes. Jesus says, first of all, deny yourself. That's verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them. So here's this universal call to discipleship. We're not sure if the people had been following Jesus and the disciples, or a crowd had gathered. But all of a sudden, Jesus, who had been talking to his disciples, now broadens the conversation, and he makes an appeal to his disciples and to the people who are listening. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. You see, the one who, according to Philippians 2, 5 to 11, made himself nothing— or to put it in the words of the old King James, who made himself of no reputation, who came in the likeness of man in the form of a servant, the one who became obedient to the will of the Father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, that one who denied himself, who set aside the voluntary use of his divine attributes, who veiled his glory in human flesh, who didn't come to be served but to serve. The foxes had holes and the birds of the air had nests and the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. That one says to his followers, now you deny yourself. You take up your cross. You do the will of my Father in heaven. And so what you have in these words is this focus that Christianity involves a shift with regards to the center of gravity in our lives. Self is displaced. The glory of Christ, the advancement of the kingdom, the spread of the gospel, that's the defining passion and purpose of our lives. That's why Paul will say, won't he, in Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. And the life I now live, compared to the life I did live, parenthesis, I live by faith in the Son of God. The center of gravity has shifted in my life. Prior to Christ, it was about me and my self-ambition, my self-will, my self-determination. Then I get saved. I meet him who I persecuted on the road to Damascus, and the center of gravity changes. I give my life to him, and the Spirit of God comes within. He creates the expulsive power of new affections, and now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I have been crucified with Christ. Life's not about me anymore, says Paul. It's about him and it's about others. That's the mark of true regeneration. That's the badge of true discipleship. Whoever desires to come after me, here's what it will look like. Let him deny himself, herself, and take up his cross and follow me. Now, let's not misunderstand the text. What does it mean to deny oneself? This is not a call to asceticism, okay? I'm not going to be impressed if I come to your home and you're all sitting on the floor because you're denying yourself. You're not going to sit in nice cushioned chairs. Pastor, I'm denying myself. 
Or tomorrow morning you forego your Starbucks latte in the name of denying yourself. That's not what the text means. The Bible doesn't teach asceticism as a way of life. It certainly teaches there are times for the sake of the gospel we might give up comfort and pleasures and money for certain purposes in the advancement of the kingdom. But to deny yourself is not a call to asceticism. It's not a call to deny the material or to seek no pleasure. It's not a call to pathological abasement where you kind of self-loathe, you know, where you deny desire. That's not what it means either. Neither is it a call to martyr complex. Well, you know what? Jesus tells us to take up our cross, and so you kind of put yourself in the firing line of opposition and persecution unnecessarily. In fact, you saw this in the early church where a martyr complex took hold. Out of a misguided love for Jesus Christ, some early Christians agitated the Roman powers, agitated the religious entities of their day so that they would enjoy a premature death and they would take up their cross, so to speak, deny themselves and enter into God's kingdom. None of that is taught here. What Jesus is talking about here is the renouncing of our carnal self as the controlling principle in life. What's the middle letter of the word sin? I. And that shouldn't surprise us because at the center of sin is the ascendancy of self over God and His will. Because sin is the replacement and displacement of God at the center of life. We don't have time to go here, but in Isaiah 14, verses 13 to 14, I believe we're given a description of the fall of Satan, Lucifer himself, who once was a commanding angel within the hosts of heaven, who led worship in heaven. But there comes a moment when he asserts himself, and you'll find five I wills that are expressed on the part of Satan to overturn God's authority and to oppose God's rule. Because you see, at the heart of sin is the assertion of self. If we're to come down to earth, Jesus tells the story, doesn't he, in Luke 12, verse 16, of a man who's kind of got to a nice place in life where his barns are full, and he might need to build bigger ones. He might be able to even take early retirement. And so he says to himself, self, you know, sit back, build bigger barns, eat, drink, and be merry. And if you read that story in Luke 12, you'll find again the repetition of words like I and self. And God steps in and says, you know what? Tonight your soul will be required of you. The life that I give you, I'm taking back. You fool. You've lived for the wrong things. Who now is going to own the things you're leaving behind? And Jesus said, so is the man that's not rich towards God. Look, folks, the original sinner shows us that self is at the heart of sin. And the origin of sin and the manifestation of sin in people's lives is the assertion of the self-will, self-ambition, and self-love. That's why Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said, our hearts are concave. They're turned in on themselves. That's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. And salvation changes that. In salvation, there is a shift in the center of gravity. The self is displaced. 
It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the residing presence and power of the Holy Spirit moves our life in another direction. Where it's now the case that we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So what we have here is a summons to submit to the Lordship of Christ, to fight egotism, to refuse to be driven any longer by self, self-preservation, self-will, self-ambition. It's an end to the love affair with yourself. And believe me, before you come to Christ, you've loved yourself greatly. You've put yourself first. You've put others second. And you've put God often last. That's why Grant Osborne, speaking of self-denial, says this, it is the rejection of ascendancy of self, a refusal to allow self-interest to guide one's life. So we're talking about a governing principle, right? We're not talking about whether you forgo a latte on a Monday morning at Starbucks. That's too small. That might factor in in another issue. What we're talking about is What is the governing principle of your life? What is the center of gravity? What is the hub into which all the spokes of your everyday affairs go? Is it Christ, His gospel, His kingdom? It ought to be. You ought to lose your life to find your life for His sake and the gospel's. I like what Mark Strauss in his Cambrian Mark says, it is a denial of autonomy and self-sensei. That's as good a way to put it. It maybe summarizes all that I've said. What does it mean to deny yourself? It's to reject autonomy, which means you act out of self-interest. You think for yourself. You don't come under the authority of God's Word. You don't make yourself accountable to spiritual leadership. You do your own thing. If there's a role for God... Well, he gets shoved into the back seat while you sit in the driver's seat. And maybe when things go badly in your career off the road of life, you'll invite him back up into the front seat. But that's the way you roll. And that's not what this text is teaching. This text is teaching he's in the driver's seat. You're in the back seat. And he gets to tell you what to do all the time. But that's okay because he's wiser. And he's loving. And he's gracious. And the results are eternal joy. And if we don't follow these words, we will allow the world to mold us into its mold. So this is the call to deny yourself. That's Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. We hope this sermon encourages you to follow Christ more closely. Listen to the message again for free on our website or order the message on CD. You'll find these resources at ktt.org. When you visit the website, you'll also see we're featuring another encouraging message from Philip called Handling the Pressure. It's all about learning from Jesus how to manage the stresses of life. Just for reaching out, we'll send you this message on CD. Request the free CD when you visit ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to provide these helpful resources for genuine spiritual growth and change rooted in God's Word. We're moving into a new season with exciting opportunities for ministry, and we're getting ready to respond to help listeners like you. But we can't do that without your support. So today, we're challenging you to not only offer a one-time gift, but to sign up to become one of our monthly Truth Ambassadors. 
As a Truth Ambassador, you become an important part of our team, allowing us to develop new sermon series, present valuable Bible study resources, and provide free web resources like the KTT app and podcast. Sign up to become a Truth Ambassador today when you call 888-644-8811 or sign up online at ktt.org. And you can also write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. When you give, we'll say thanks by sending you a welcome gift, a new study booklet by Philip called Handling the Pressure. It's designed to help you develop the life habits that Jesus used for resting and recharging. I'm Wayne Shepherd, wishing you a wonderful weekend, and be sure to come back next week for more faith-building messages from the Gospel of Mark. Be listening Monday to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. after me. My mom taught me that women can do anything they set their mind to. Hi, I'm Madison's mom, Amy Errett. I founded Madison Reed with the idea to create luxurious, ammonia-free, salon-quality at-home hair color that saves women time and money. In under an hour and for less than $25, Madison Reed delivers gorgeous, multi-dimensional, shiny hair. I'm proud to say Madison Reed is a female-led company. From our chief marketing officer to our master colorist, we are all women and top experts in our field. Founded in love, we are a hair color company led by women, made for women. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Use code GRATEFUL. That's code GRATEFUL. Try it. Love it. That's the beauty of Madison Reed. Bingo. Want to be inspired? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.